Hello and welcome to Living Breathing Medicine, a podcast where two family practice doctors invite other healthcare providers to have candid conversations about their careers, their patients, and their most memorable moments in medicine. I'm Dr. Cecily Havert, and on today's episode, my colleague, Dr. Natasha Beauvais, and I have the pleasure of talking with Dr. Maria Castillo-Catoni, a new internal medicine doctor in our practice, who is known by her patients as Dr. Castillo, and known to Natasha and I as Christy. Dr. Castillo was born and raised in San Juan, Puerto Rico, which is where she also attended college and medical school. She completed her residency in Richmond, Virginia, and now practices with us at Northern Virginia Family Practice in Washington, D.C. On today's episode, we introduce Dr. Castillo to our listening community as a new member of our healthcare team, someone we look forward to collaborating with and learning from. Dr. Castillo shares stories of patients who have helped her learn more about herself as a doctor and the implicit biases that we carry with us into exam rooms. From overcoming illiteracy to finding the human beneath the prisoner label, we explore our biases more fully through the lens of cultural humility and curiosity. We break down the doctor-patient relationship to the barest level, the human level, where we are all just doing the best we can. We discuss this and more on today's episode of Living, Breathing Medicine. Christy, it's really, really great to have you here on our podcast. In the month that you've been working here, we've shared many really interesting patient stories. And I think um, both Cecily and I have been so grateful to recognize we're going to be able to work with you continually now because your insights and your clinical experience are really wonderful to hear. Um, so welcome, and we're, we're so glad to have you. Thank you, Natasha and Cecily. It's, uh, it's been truly a pleasure working here. Uh, it's a breath of fresh air, right, in medicine to see, to be able to spend more time with patients, to see that people, I mean, across the board from the patient care coordinators to the nurses are really enjoying coming into work. And so I'm, I'm loving being here so far. Yeah, we're just so glad to have you. And I, um, you know, I just, I am really looking forward to collaborating with you, but also just learning from you as well. I think that as doctors, we uh, have great experiences and we learn a lot from our patients as well. And I think the more that we speak to one another as professionals, as doctors and as women, we can actually learn a lot from each other. So uh, I wanted to um, give you an opportunity, Christy, to go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about a patient that you met a few years ago and something that you might have learned from that experience. Yeah, so I'll, um, I'll start with something that still comes up frequently in my mind, and I try to keep it very present when I go in an exam room. So I was seeing this patient coming on on and off for a couple of years. Uh, He would come and see me back to back for a few visits for his uncontrolled hypertension, and then he would disappear and then come back again, either after he had a a ER admission for a hypertensive urgency or he wasn't feeling well. Um, I would get very frustrated because he I wasn't sure if he was taking his medications. He would say he was, but he didn't know how many he was taking. He certainly didn't know the names of them. He wouldn't bring in his medication bottles. He wouldn't bring in a list of his medications. So I, I was even before I opened that exam room, I was already, um, here we go again. His blood pressure is going to be you know, 180 over 100. Um, he's not taking his medication. He's non-compliant, right? Quote, unquote. Um, and 
and there was no language barrier. So he he um, was or is Hispanic, and but I, I'm fluent in Spanish, so there there wasn't a language barrier. So here I go. I'm like, no, this is just this person doesn't want to take their medications and doesn't really care about their health. Uh, so one day I walk in and I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this one one last shot. Um, I'm going to go ahead and write all your med. I explained everything. Um, sat down, looked him in the eye, said, I'm going to write all, all your medications. I put them printed and down in nice big letters, nice clear font. I wrote what they were for. I wrote the doses. Um, and I go, and I'm so proud of that. I printed out my list, walked back into it, into the room, hand it to him. And then it, it hit me, um, just kind of the look on his face. He was just, he saw the list and then he immediately kind of looked down. Uh, it was a look of shame and, uh, it hit me. How did I miss it? Right. For years, he, he's illiterate. Um, I should have thought about it. Probably we should have been one of the first questions I asked, or at least a question to be brought up that very first visit. Um, and I didn't, and he, he's not non-compliant, right? He's compliant to the best of his abilities. He just has no idea. Uh, right. All the bottles look the same. He really could read yes and no. And that's about it. He can't more than that. He can't read. Um, he doesn't really have any, uh, family members and he didn't have any sons or daughters that were educated that could help him out he on top of that he's so ashamed he's not gonna ask for help um Mm -hmm. and so that was a big a big lesson for me yeah that's what you know just listening to that story that's really really powerful but you know when you said he looked down and he had a look of shame on his face it makes me really you know, think about that and throw some curiosity at that. I mean, one would think, oh, well, he could have just said, oh, I don't read. I I can't read. But yet he never said that after, I don't know how long you're working with him, months, years, but you know, well, why do you think that that is? Why why do you think he didn't say anything? For me, it's it's a little painful to think that the embarrassment of having to say, no, I don't know how to read. No, I don't know how to write was stronger than him knowing that he needs healthcare, right? That's very sad. Um, how powerful that that is. Um, I don't. I don't. I think he wanted to be better. He wants to feel. He wanted to feel well. He wanted his blood pressure to be under control. Um, he just the shame that he's or the embarrassment that he felt was more powerful than all of that. It could have taken me just slowing down. Um, and maybe even asking, because I don't know why I didn't do it with him. I, I do it a lot is, hey, is there a barrier? Is there something that's in the middle of, you know, being able to take your medications? Or maybe that would have opened the door, right, for him to feel comfortable to say, hey, I, I'm really not sure. What a good question. I've never thought to just directly ask, is there a barrier? I mean, what kinds of questions do you sometimes ask in that light? You, know, you you can tell when there's a hesitation, there's maybe some type of a facial expression or there's a sigh or there's some type of communication that's nonverbal many times that patients give you that makes you think, well, maybe there's something else behind this. And mm-hmm. um, it took me a while to get comfortable with that. And still, I'm still uncomfortable with it. And sometimes, but it, I think sometimes very, being very clear and saying, hey, I wonder if there's something, if there's something behind that, something behind um, you not wanting to come into your appointment. Is there something going on at home? Is there, is this bringing up trauma? Even a doctor's visit can bring up trauma for somebody. They had a, a bad experience at a doctor's office or in the healthcare system. So just, and then I always, I like to follow it by saying, you don't, don't feel pressured to tell me, but if you'd like to, I'd, I'd like to know. 
Yeah, I think that creating that safe space is really, really important. And so sometimes if a patient is showing some hesitation or uh, withdrawing for whatever reason, I think trying to tell them that this is a safe space and I'm here to listen and, you know, we'll work at work at your speed, but, you know, just giving them that space and that uh, just honoring maybe their vulnerability in that moment, Mm -hmm. I think is also very, very important. And once they realize that and realize that, that you're there to keep them safe and Mm -hmm. hopefully be their advocate, that's when they can start opening up a little, but, but it is hard. It is hard. And I can, you know, he probably wanted to say something many, many times, but maybe just didn't know how to say it. And I, Mm -hmm. and I agree with you, he was probably embarrassed, but when you look at the, the impact that that has on his care, it's, it's pretty significant. Yeah. Kind of getting that little piece of information um, changed everything, right? Because now we can move forward with a plan to actually tackle what's going on. Now we can, um, you know, call his pharmacy directly and now we can start labeling, right? Medic pill bottles with different colors like these purple ones are for your blood pressure this red one is for your cholesterol we actually have a plan the nurses know so now we know anytime we schedule him for something we need to communicate it uh, verbally verbally or, or find other ways to make sure he he knows that I think as in the healthcare system if we and I'm going to go ahead and say we this one's definitely on me but if we slow down and we're aware that we do have a bias walking into every room um, mm-hmm. even if we don't think so um, if we have that awareness and we look for it and we try to identify it when it comes up, I think we can make more powerful impact in, mm-hmm. in our, with our patients. It's such an important thing and also something that I feel happens better with a lot of experience that, mm-hmm. you know, so that you are able to listen to that patient several times. You knew him, you knew his story, but what you listened to differently in that example was that look. You know, so you're you're actually really sensing the unspoken, and that that to me brings up a couple of memories about both patients who I think really experienced a lot of shame and and talked about that in their exam room experience from before, um, and also like what is it that then helps any of us medical providers shift into listening to that thing that is not said, or to be mature enough to notice it, to say something isn't going right here. I feel that we're not really communicating well. What do you think that's about? Like your question, you know, is is there a barrier here? One of the things I remember was a patient that came in and talked about how she had been mistreated in in a prior medical visit, and she was very overweight, and she wasn't draped properly in the exam room. And just what a what a really bad experience that was for her and what, you know, how it made her so uncomfortable at the thought of going back to that same provider because she didn't feel her body was being respected. And and you know, they teach draping to us in, you know, the first few years of medical school and just how do you get comfortable with draping a, a patient and giving their body full respect and examining the part that you're examining and covering the rest. And I, I think that experience by itself could make her just not want to go back to the doctor at all. So good that you were able to read that other thing that was in the room. Yeah, this is probably shifting a little bit, but I think it's so important to, you never know what patients have lived through, what triggers they have. So I think that just reminded me, 
You know, something as simple as examining the neck can be a trigger for somebody. I, I had a patient with a history of right abuse, of physical, emotional abuse, and um, she had been had a choke attempt in the past. And so it's always good to remember. Right? She taught me that, you know, always ask, is it I'm, I would like to examine your neck. Is that OK? Because that was very triggering for her. Just just having and particularly a male, if it was a male doctor, she would. Um, so it's a reminder to not take for granted what you do. Right. Sometimes we just want to slap our stethoscope on. We just want to go ahead and do our exam, um, assuming that it's OK with everybody. And it's not right. We might we might feel like it's essential to what we're doing. And we certainly have to communicate that to the patient. Like, hey, it's really important. I would really like to do X or Y or Z. Um, is that OK with you? I think that asking for permission is a really important thing. And I think it's probably something that I don't do enough and maybe our profession doesn't do enough. But I, I think that it's important to recognize the vulnerability that the patients are in in that moment, right? And then realizing that maybe you know the patient pretty well, but maybe you don't. I mean, you don't really know exactly all of the, the patient may not have shared all of um, their experiences with you, traumatic experiences. And so you can't assume something as simple as examining their neck, that could definitely be be triggering. So I think the more you get to know a patient, even you know before you examine them, the first first time you get to know them, I think it's really important to ask really really open ended questions just to see you know where they are in this space. And I think that's also part of the trust building experience. And it's it's maybe something you know in busy medicine we. You know, when we're seeing 20, 30 patients a day, it, it's hard just to remember that and take the time to uh, get to know a patient, even just talking for five minutes to know a little bit about them is sometimes really critical to making the, the experience a good one for them. I agree. Yeah, the time component of it is big. Even asking an open-ended question um, like that, they can feel so much more comfortable bringing up things that might really be important to finding the cause of what's going on. And I think what yeah. we're talking about here is is implicit bias. I think a lot of us don't want to admit that we have it, but I think, you know, Christy, you mentioned it earlier, we all do. And we have to realize that that we do have implicit bias all the time for, you know, for patients, we, we, you know, we can work on understanding what those are and maybe pivot and shift and, and change that. But I think we'll always have some some level of that. And I think having humility towards that is is really important to move, maybe moving past it and making it a better patient experience. And you know, I'm just sitting here thinking about other, you know, other examples of implicit bias in medicine. And there's there's a lot. You know, I you know, assuming that you know when you see a patient that they're heterosexual, right? And so you ask them about their husband if it's a woman, and you know, and so being being careful in that moment. Uh, you know, even making assumptions about pronouns if they appear you know, to have sort of a feminine look using she, her, that may not always be it. Um, so there's a lot of implicit bias that we make in medicine all the time. Yeah. And I think some of those are things that we can learn to kind of structurally work on better. But I think part of the recognition is just that we're never going to know every way that we're biased when we come in. I mean, if you had worked with a lot of people who didn't know how to read, you would then recognize to ask that question every time. But if 99% of your patients do know how to read, we forget. We forget that that's an important part of, of someone's health life. It's not going to be on your mind every single day, the right question to ask. Um, and so what I really liked about your story was 
that what you were really doing was being sensitive to him on a human level. Like you were saying, there's something that's not fitting here and you were looking for it. Like you were working hard, you tried to write the thing out and you came back in the room and he was deflated. And that was your opening. And I think it's that human to human connection that can have the hope of getting us through a bias that we're not aware that we have because we're not trying to be biased about someone's lack of ability to read, you know, so then there may be a hundred things that we are not realizing we're missing because we're not going to be able to know what we're missing. <laughs> That's the whole point of, you know, something that we're missing. Um, but to be able to really be reaching human to human in the exam room to be recognizing, okay, this is the clue that, that we can uncover a little bit more to help me know where I am missing something. And I'd like to add also that in that experience, you approached it with curiosity instead mm -hmm. of saying, oh, um, you know, when they put their head down and you just, instead of saying, oh, well, they just don't want to talk to me or here we go again. Oh, this, you know, he's, he's just being difficult again. He's not compliant. You really said, well, okay, well, instead of making that assumption, you said, well, let me throw some curiosity at this interaction. There's something that doesn't feel right. Why don't I explore this a little bit more? And I, and I think that that's, again, you know, bringing up the, even the cultural humility um, aspect of this, you know, there, there's cultural competency and one assumes that, you know, at some point you can know everything, but I think that cultural humility, which admits that you will never know everything mm -hmm. about something, mm -hmm. I think is a much more appropriate more spot on way to look at this experience. Yeah, it's an opportunity for growth. I mean, it certainly was for both of us, right? He, it's funny because in that moment, we exchanged feelings, right? I took on shame. I felt ashamed and embarrassed for how I acted. And you know, he was ashamed at the same time, but about something else, right? Um, so we, we had that in common. And it's, I think it's so important, like you said, to have that humility and that that's how we grow. It's how we, and I think in all aspects of life, right? In our interactions, in our day-to-day, -day, in our interactions here at the office, um, it's always having that question, you know, what what is this about? Um, what else is behind this? So how was your experience with him afterwards? I mean, after, you know, this, this realization came out and you know, he had his moment of shame, you had your moment of shame, and then you sort of hopefully came back together. And so how was your, your relationship with them moving forward? So, so there was, I mean, it's not all a perfect, rosy, beautiful story. He, you know, he, <laughs> he, <laughs> he did at least start, um, he was able to say, you know, this is for my blood pressure, the purple one. This, so he was able throughout the visits to do that. His blood pressure was still not right? Not perfectly controlled. And he did miss a few appointments, but hey, I'm not there to say why he made it or didn't make it. Um, he also had a lot, right? Low socioeconomic background, um, challenges with transportation. So this gentleman had so much going on, um, but there was improvement. I mean, he did, his blood pressure did get a little better. It wasn't perfect, but it did get better. Um, and he certainly, you know, started to come a little bit more regularly to his appointments. So there was some change and, and certainly his his demeanor, I think his comfort um, bringing something up increased. Uh, so I did, I did see some subjective changes or, or improvements. That it's a more real connection with you once, once, he, once he's there, you really do understand each other better. Yeah. And I think he just, he felt more comfortable. He felt more understood. He, I, I shared it with the staff that regularly interacted with him. I made sure that we called him instead of sent a text with reminders for appointments. So little changes like that. 
um, that will hopefully make a change for him and, and help him trust the medical system a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I can't imagine what it's, what it's like for him when he goes to the ER, right? Um, it's rushed. He may not, he may have an interpreter there for him, but there is no family there to kind of get the paper and explain it for him. He probably isn't going to feel comfortable bringing up that, you know, he, he can't read or write. So it's busy. He's, yeah. I can't imagine what an experience is like for him when he goes to the ER. Mm-hmm. You know, it just makes me think also, you know, my own experiences as a patient, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm a physician, but I'm also a patient too. And I'm thinking about all the times that I go to doctor's offices. And if it's a new doctor, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to hand you a clipboard with some paperwork. And I don't think I've ever been asked if this is something that I'd like to complete myself, or I'd like to have somebody help me complete it. Um, So it just, it just makes me think and just sort of that interaction, that implicit bias, just assuming that everybody who comes to you can read is something that it just makes me take a step back and think, wow, again, throw some curiosity at this. How can we change this? So this is not something that, that we should just assume. Mm-hmm. Is, and is, they make it through because yeah. uh, they, well, I just didn't have time to fill it out. Right. They'll find yeah. very much like somebody with cognitive impairment, right. They're completely different things, but they'll find ways to compensate for it. Right. And, and, and so, okay, he just didn't have time. I'm just going to take the histories verbally. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I forget the names of my medications. Okay, we'll just call your pharmacy and see. And we never, and that's how we move through. When you said, we know that we have bias walking into every room. Does that bring to mind for you a couple of other kind of aha moments in your medical life where that's in retrospect? So many, but I, I think my very first encounter that I can remember that was really sticks with me is uh this gentleman that uh, was in his late 50s with metastatic prostate cancer. He happened to be a prisoner. That was when I was over in residency at VCU. And they have a security unit, um, Mm -hmm. which is for for prisoners. And so at at the time, before they had built their whole new building and whatnot, they were at a completely different rundown building in the basement. And it felt really like, oh, here I have to go. I have to cross over to the other building as a resident, you know, as an intern. This is going to take more time to go in there. But this gentleman had metastatic prostate cancer. He, um, I was probably in my second or third month as an intern. So I'm still kind of trying to figure this out. And uh, walking in the room, I'm like, who knows who this gentleman has, what he's done, right? Uh, what types of crimes he's committed. And I'm just being honest. These were the things that go- were going through my mind, right? And with time, I actually, I probably followed, yeah, I followed him for um, three of the four weeks that I was on service that month. And I learned a lot about him, right? I learned a lot about him prior to being in prison, having a life like all of us do. He has children, he has a son he hasn't seen in years um, that he misses and he wishes he could, right, have a relationship with. Here he is um, kind of end stage, wanting to talk to him, wanting to kind of say his goodbyes and he couldn't this was pre you know telehealth and video and all that so my my big bias there was just assuming that you're a quote bad person if you're in in prison right um and that's so far from the truth he was a funny gentleman he would even in his state he would crack jokes every morning there was always a hoot in his room um i saw him as a i learned to see him as 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 how we should as a human right as a person as somebody who's uh like I have made mistakes, though they might look different than his. Um, and somebody who would love to see my family grow. And so I, I saw what we had in common. 
And that opened my eyes, right? And we do that on the street. We see somebody walking by and by the way they look, we might be like, oh, you know, I don't want to interact with that person. And that's exactly what I did walking into that room that first day with him. Yeah, you walked in with preconceived notions Mm -hmm. and, you know, probably also some fear. I mean, I Mm -hmm. think that a lot of these implicit bias or prejudgment or, you know, whatever we want to call it are generated by fear unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's important to recognize that and maybe honor that a little bit, but also understand how that isn't maybe the whole story, right? And mm-hmm. again, just, you know, being a little bit more curious, like I think maybe you walked in and were, you know, your fear sort of took over and, and changed or, you know, kind of directed how you were, how you were envisioning and figuring out this guy to be. But um, by allowing yourself to be a little bit more curious and to get to know him, I, I think he, you know, he's he's more than the sum of his actions or the mistakes or whatever it is. And there really is truly a human being underneath all that. That's a great lesson. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, stepping back and, and realizing that most of us, if not all of us, are looking for the same things in life, right? We want to first have shelter and and security there. We want to be loved, right? We want to be supported. And we want to be successful in whatever, whatever that means to us, right? And it doesn't look the same for all of us. And realizing that we have that in, in common, I think can help us so much, particularly with all the things we're going through nowadays. Stepping back and trying to find the common ground before we focus on our differences. I once went to a seminar run by Rachel Naomi Remen, who is a physician child oncologist who is probably in her late 80s now. So she was a very early woman doctor. And she suggested that before going into a room with anyone, before you know what your bias is, because you haven't even opened the door yet, recognizing and giving yourself maybe 10 seconds to say, I know that there's another human being on the other side of this exam room door. And because this is another person, there's something that we can connect with human to human that we, you know, no matter, no matter how I feel about this person, there's something that I could reach through and make that emotional connection to get through whatever else is there. Especially as a young doctor, I think that was so helpful to me to remember because there is a natural distaste sometimes, you know, there, it is possible for anyone to walk into a room and not like the other person who's there <laughs> and, or think that we might not like them or feel uncomfortable or feel fear. And I think recognizing that if we try even for 10 seconds to make that conscious that this is another person with whom I can connect because I am a person brings it down to a level that's much different than like doctor patient. It's just two humans in the room reaching out for each other. That's a great sentiment. And I think that, you know, everything that, that we've discussed today and the two stories that, that you shared with us really do um, shed light on that, on that concept. Again, like I said, when we first started this conversation, that we learn so much from each other, but where we learn the most mm-hmm. is from our patients, a lot of times in the experiences that they that they teach us. And that's why I think these conversations between doctors, other healthcare providers are so, so important, just to keep, uh, keep learning and keep finding what the humanity is uh, in medicine, and the humility, 
I think, is, which is what the conversation today was about. A lot of humility and understanding what that is and, and knowing that we're, we're never going to know it all. And that's, and that's okay. But as long as we have curiosity and we want to learn more, we can. Thank you so much, uh, Christy, for joining us today. It truly was a pleasure having you here. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Dr. Christy Castillo, for being our guest today on Living Breathing Medicine. We are so glad to be working with you and very happy to speak with you on our podcast. In medicine, having these types of conversations helps us learn from each other. And as you've mentioned, we often learn from our patients. Um, and, and in just a month, we've learned so much from you, Christy. So thank you so much for this discussion about finding both humanity and humility in medicine. Living Breathing Medicine is a podcast by Dr. Cecily Havert and Dr. Natasha Beauvais, two family physicians exploring compassion and humanity in medicine. Our producer is Melody Rowell. Find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and links on our show notes. Find us back here in two weeks. Until then, be well and take good care.